He loves me. He just can't be in a committed relationship right now. She's a really nice person. She just had a bad day. I would know if something was wrong. He tells me everything. He didn't mean to hit me. It's my fault for making him mad. She would never kill herself. She's not depressed. There are three versions of every situation. The version you see, the version other people see, and the truth. Humans are experts at convenient logic. We put band-aids over anything that hurts and press on. Some people do this so much that in the end, band-aids are the only thing holding them together. But what happens when we reveal what's underneath? Is reality ever just too much for us to handle? And if it is, how far can we expect the rest of the world to go to keep our band-aids on? Now flip that situation around. If you can talk yourself into believing only certain things and hiding the undesirable, how well can you possibly know anyone else, even the closest people to you? How much of your world is your own creation? What portion of the truth is hiding in plain sight? And more importantly, do you even want to know? As children, we cover our eyes and assume the rest of the world cannot see us. As we grow older, we learn that there is more to the world than just our field of vision. Or do we? I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead. domestic dispute one it's not it's just a little more cerebral i kind of want to reflect that okay you know what you choose to believe is not always what's real i gotcha because there's there's a lot of that that happens in this story and um every time i think of that it makes me like god what actually is my reality (laughs) do you know what i mean like yeah yeah yeah. so anyway we have a lot to unpack in this week's case obviously and here's a fun twist leslie doesn't know any of it. Nothing. I know yes. nothing. Okay, this is week is a total surprise for her, which is always super fun for me. And it doesn't happen very often. This mm-hmm. might only be the second time. But I love an audience, and I can't see any of your faces. So <laughs> I'm just going to live for Leslie's reaction today. Let Ugh. me be your face. <laughs> <laughs> Wish we hadn't ordered all our buttons already. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> Let me be your faces in the next round. Yes. Oh, oh, and where do you live? We missed that one, too. We did. We got to order more soon. You guys better uh, patron up so we have a reason to order more buttons. (laughs) Oh, God. I do miss performing, though. And if quarantine keeps going on the way it has been, I'll be singing for you guys in no time. Yes. Woo! Until then, I will sing for you. Perfect. Until then, and then with me, maybe. Yeah. I'll learn how to do harmonies. (laughs) We've been asked to do a musical episode. I'm like, do you know how much work that is? It's like a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm here for it. Okay. (laughs) Maybe our one-year anniversary. Oh, 
would be great. We will sing. Okay. We will be sing. <laughs> <laughs> or, or musical. That would be better. We would be musical. I like that. Anyway, yeah. I'm very silly because it's very late. <laughs> okay. Business first. Patrons, our trip to the Mutter, Mutter, however you want to pronounce it, museum will be on Sunday, August 23rd. Uh, everyone will have to buy their ticket beforehand, and we will meet near the parking lot. Patrons who come to this trip will get their gifts live and in person. Yay. It'll be like Christmas or what Halloween. What are we getting? <laughs> I think you know what we're oh. getting. <laughs> uh, and those who cannot attend or who just don't want to, it's all good. Maybe skeletons aren't your thing. I don't know what that's like, but all right. I don't know. <laughs> um, but you'll get your care package in the mail. So um, if you don't want to be left out of all that fun, because being left out sounds awful, head on over to Patreon and make a little monthly donation to We Would Be Dead. You get a shout-out, presents, exclusive access to campfire stories, and totally free admission to our upcoming October hike of horror through the Pine Barrens. And that's just the beginning. There's going to be more stuff. We haven't come up with it yet. I'm so excited. I know. It's coming. I'm going to join. <laughs> you get all the benefits no matter what. For free. I feel very privileged. We also spend, like, much more money. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, paying to do so this. So for a much higher fee than everyone else. Okay. <laughs> I'm already paying. I yeah. Guess. <laughs> and while you guys are at it, please, please, please pop by Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. Any longer without validation, and I'm going to need, like, a full-on Angelica Houston in the witch's mask situation. I mean, we're already bathing in baby's blood. I'm not sure what else we can do. Where do we keep getting the babies? Five stars. Five stars. Save the babies. (laughs) Let me be your face. (laughs) Also, I hope you enjoyed our new video segment this week called What the Friday, which can be seen on our Facebook and Instagram. And uh, probably more places soon. I don't know. We might, like... Try and journey into YouTube a little bit. Cool. Probably would be smart for us to do that. Yeah. It's a weekly video where we share three weird true crime facts we have uncovered that we couldn't really work into a weekly podcast. It's really fun. Go check it out. And now that we got all that out of the way and a lot of other weird stuff I didn't write. Yeah. On with the show. Woo. Yay. This week we are talking about the tragic death of Morgan Ingram. This case, like, I heard about it. And then it just lived in my brain for like a little too long. Mm. It's like a, it's one that sticks with me and maybe it'll stick with you. And um, I'm hoping it sparks a lot of really great conversations in the aftermath because I think it's worthy of them. So those of you familiar with this case will know that there are two completely different versions of the events that lead up to and caused Morgan's death. And while there is compelling evidence as to which theory is correct – There are also a lot of people who believe there is more to the story than meets the eye. I got my information this week straight from the source. 200 exhaustive pages of police reports, autopsy, talk screen, everything. I read them all. And I will make them available to you guys in the show notes this week. Um, I also got some additional information from an episode of the show, Accident, Suicide, or Murder. Please don't judge me. I normally do not take information from sensational TV shows which are great fun to watch, but a little loose with their facts. Um, and biased. <laughs> and biased in their opinions. However, the episode on Morgan features Dreamboat Ace Detective Paul Holes. Do you know who Paul Holes is? No. You will now. Man. I'm going to look up a picture. Yeah, you, you really should. Do yourself a favor and look up a picture. Murder ladies the world over love Paul Holes. 
and with good reason. Um, he is responsible for helping mm. to catch um, the Golden State Killer. Okay. And oh, he also okay. finished um, I'll Be Gone in the Dark for Michelle McNamara. I believe that was him as well. I didn't know that name. I did not know his face. That's nice. His face is a delightful yeah. surprise. Uh, was it him or Billy Jensen that did I'll Be Gone in the Dark? They have a podcast together. They are geniuses. Go listen to it. Be like their it was fan. The Jensen. It was Billy Jensen. That sounds more familiar. Okay. I didn't look up the people, but I will give credit where credit is due. They are both fucking phenomenal. Go listen to them. Be their fans. <laughs> I just hope that one day this podcast hits a level where we get to meet them. I will be very awkward. <laughs> I'll have to be a buffer. I guess. You're gonna have to be the not awkward one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's possible. How's that gonna go? Not well. <laughs> Uh, but you can catch the episode of that show I mentioned called Accident, Suicide, or Murder on Amazon Prime. It's like $3 to rent, but it's well worth it. Um, and I will totally talk about it with you afterwards on social media if you do. I would say via text, but we're big enough now that a few of our listeners actually don't have my phone number. Oh, wow. I know. We made it. We're famous. <laughs> so close to a musical episode. So close. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into this case. We've already given John enough to edit. Yeah. On December 1st, 2011, 20-year-old Morgan Ingram began her day just like she would any other. She woke up, walked her puppy, and killed some time before going to her room and getting ready um, for the day. And she was going to see a boy that she had been talking to. Mm. I know. It's so fun. And, like, getting ready for that situation is half the fun where you, like, do all your makeup and look cute and listen to your songs. Girls know what I'm talking about. Britney Spears was all up in there. Do boys do that? Answer us later. I want to know. Do you like, or do you just stare into your own eyes as you fix your hair for three seconds? I don't know. (laughs) So dreamy. (laughs) So Morgan curled her hair and did her makeup. Then she exchanged pleasantries with her parents and by approximately 1.30 p.m. headed out to see Danny, the boy she was talking to. He lived just a few towns over. On her way to see Danny, she intended to stop to lend her friend a shirt to wear during a job interview. Before Morgan left, her mother asked her to be home around 4 o'clock so that they could run errands together before dinner. In um, a bunch of interviews, her mom's like, we said we were going to go to the post office together. I don't know why you might make an appointment for that, but it was they were going to do it. Hmm. Yeah, be home at 4 o'clock, we're going to go to the post office. 4 o'clock came and went, and Morgan did not return home. Morgan's mother had called and texted Morgan but received no answer. So, like any mom, she began to get a little testy. She had texted a few of Morgan's friends as well, which would piss me off hard. Yeah. And still was not able to reach Morgan. She complained to her husband that Morgan was being inconsiderate, and Morgan's father responded that she seemed to have been a little out of sorts lately, but he was sure that she would be home soon. In the meantime, they decided they would make Mexican food for dinner, hoping that it would cheer up Morgan, as it was one of her favorite meals, and smooth the whole situation over. Morgan's mother, however, was still unsure if Morgan would even be home in time for dinner. I feel like that was like a little passive-aggressive dig. Like, I don't even know if she'll be home by then. Right. Oh, absolutely. Mm You can hear it happening, right? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, And she was probably further annoyed by this whole situation, which is such a mom thing. Dinner is such a big deal. Yeah. I don't... It is. I don't, it is, though, right? Mm-hmm. I have had this precise argument with my own parents. Yep. And as trivial as it seems, it is so heated every time. Uh-huh. Like, are you even going to be home for dinner? Yeah. God. 
I, mean, I don't know why dinner is so stressful. Even with my kids, they'll ask – my least favorite question that they ask me mm-hmm. is, do you know what we're having for dinner? And they'll ask it while I'm cooking it, like while I'm breading chicken. I'll be like, no, I have no idea. I don't – I want to say What is them. this thing? Yeah, what is this? <laughs> I don't know why that's my least favorite question. And I'm like, did I ask my mom that? Like, Well, my son asks that did. the second he wakes up in the morning. So yeah. that's fun. Do you know what we're having for dinner? Every morning before he goes to bed, he's like, what's for breakfast? He has to know his meals as though he were like a starving child. He's never missed a meal or snack in his life. I don't know why he needs to plan them so much, but he does. (laughs) Back to Morgan. Her mother, whose name is Tony, by the way, and whom we will hear a whole lot more about, eventually calms down a little and has Morgan's father, whose name is Steve, while we're at it, text her. And she responds. Oh. I know. This is probably such a, like, passive-aggressive burn for Tony. And I I can't blame her. Can you imagine? You're, like, texting and texting, and then your husband texts, and they're like, whoops, sorry, here I am. Yeah. So mad. Yep. So, so, so mad. Which, that has happened before with my mom texting me a bunch, and then my dad will text me after. And... Most of the time, it's because I didn't check my phone, and my dad might be the last one, so I'll respond to him Mm -hmm. and not to my mom, knowing that they're together, and then later have to be like, wait, you you saw that I I sent something to dad, right? Yep. (laughs) I know. Oh, God. But, like, it's just those principle of it. She's calling endlessly, no response. One text from her dad, she responds. I'm mad on her behalf right now. Yeah. Morgan responds in the text that she had been with her friends and lost track of time and that her ringer was off and she didn't notice all the calls and texts from her mom. Classic. She said that she would be home later that night and that they should eat without her. So they do. Okay. The, like, tacos that they were making just for her. That's so sad. Isn't it sad? Man, I'm already so sad now. I know. Morgan returns home at a little past nine in the evening and her mother is standing in the driveway waiting to talk to her. (gasps) So as soon as Morgan's car pulls up, she, like, walks out of the house and is on the front lawn. And this whole story gives me Pavlovian stress sweats at this point. (laughs) Because Morgan walks out of the car, and her mom is there looking pissed off. And I remember that feeling. I remember coming home late and having to, like, walk in the front door and knowing... Because it's not like you can just never come home, but you know as soon as you walk in, a hurricane of anger is waiting for you on the other side of the door. I just kind of want to throw up thinking about it. Mm. But Morgan gets out of her car, and Tony begins to ask her immediately where she has been, why she didn't call, why she didn't come home to run errands with her as she had promised. Morgan fixes her gaze on the pavement and walks to the door, uttering only one word as she passes Tony. Bitch. (gasps) I know. Do you have hives? I have hives. Yeah, I'm getting them. That is a power move. I cannot imagine being that bold. But then also, I remember that while she may be living at home, Morgan is also 20 years old and and really does not deserve to be under any obligation to return home for meals or errands. Mm-hmm. Politely, yes, you should, but like it's not like she's a child. She is right, allowed to do right. those things. Her parents will continually – they speak of her, though, as if she is a little kid, and it's really easy to forget that she's not. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I just have to remind myself and everybody else. (laughs) Tony claims that when Morgan says that, she didn't react. She said that she was pretty much stunned into silence and followed Morgan inside. Morgan went straight to her room. Tony followed her and knocked on the door. Morgan said, 
go away, I want to go to bed. And the two never spoke again. Approximately a half hour later, Morgan's father, Steve, went to her room and knocked on the door. And Morgan told him to come right in and sit down. Hmm. I know. It was, oh, God. Mom's going to be so mad. I, would, I mean, I would be furious if that was me. Steve was kind and placating, and he asked Morgan if anything had been wrong, what was going on in her life. They just kind of talked for a little while. She told him that she loved him, um, and then he left and closed her door. Dad is always the good guy. This is another trope that drives moms insane. They always have to be the bad guy. Steve noted that Morgan's room was neat and claimed that she had changed to her pajamas, and that was the last he saw of her. The next morning, Tony wakes up before Morgan, opens Morgan's bed, opens Morgan's bedroom door. Ooh, that's hard to let out her puppy. So she had like a a puppy, and the dog slept with her. But like she had, she had to be let out frequently. Mm-hmm. So she, if she got up early, she would like take her out for. The puppy had made a mess on the floor, however, and Tony came in to clean it up, commenting to Morgan that maybe she should thank her for cleaning up this mess. Yeah, she's still pissed. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And then. For walking the dog as well. So she's like, maybe you could thank me for doing your job. But Morgan does not respond. Wait a second. Continue. Tony says something <sighs> again, a little louder this time, to get Morgan's attention. I assume that, again, like you said, she's probably still mad. So she's probably being real passive-aggressive about it. But Morgan still doesn't respond at all. Tony then approaches Morgan's bed and notices that Morgan is laying motionless, face down, dressed in jeans and a t-shirt and blue socks. The room is silent, and Morgan is not moving. Her knees are slightly drawn up, and her arms are stretched out over her head. The position is unnatural and startling. It is then that Tony notices that Morgan is not breathing and cold to the touch. She frantically goes looking for Steve, who comes back to the room with her and also attempts to wake up Morgan, but something is clearly wrong. Eventually, they flip her onto her back, at which point her face becomes visible, and Morgan's eyes were half open, and Tony describes them as black. Now I know what you're all thinking, but no, this is not taking a hard right into possession territory. When we die, the muscles in our body relax, including the teeny tiny muscles that are responsible for contracting and dilating our pupils when exposed to different levels of light, and therefore our eyes will remain in a state of fixed dilation. This is why a lot of crime dramas um, will show you like a cop or an investigator shining their flashlight into the eyes of a dead body because if the pupil shrinks, they're still alive. Okay. So, all that being said, I truly cannot imagine anything worse than that moment. A person's mind is conditioned to be filled with hope and rationalizations. You can pretend a person is just deeply sleeping through a lot, but not when you see their eyes. That is an instant reality check that nobody wants to have, especially when it's your child. The Ingrams rush to call 911 and begin CPR. EMS and police officers arrive on the scene shortly after and did everything they could to try and bring Morgan back, including three rounds of shocks with a defibrillator. But it was clearly a lost cause. Morgan was declared dead, and the police taped off the Ingram's home and collected evidence. At 6.56, detectives arrive on the scene and reported it as follows. And what I'm about to read is the word-for-word report that the detective gave of the scene when he arrived on it. Detective Sergeant D. Breyer, this happened, um, this report was filed, I guess, on December 5th and was you know, written out on December 2nd, 2011, at approximately 6.56 in the a.m. Detective Lemoyne notified me by phone of an unattended death. The death was a 20-year-old female. The female had also historically over the last several months been the subject slash victim of a suspected stalking situation. 
The location was 62 Coral Drive, Carbondale Equestrian Estates. Detective Lemoyne, Detective CPL Ashworth, Detective Glassmeyer, shift assigned patrol deputies, and I responded to the scene. Upon my arrival, the scene had been secured with the crime scene tape boundary. A precautionary external canvas of the residence had been made and video recording and photography had been mostly completed. The decedent had been lo located and was currently located in her bedroom of the residence. The decedent had been found by her parents and an attempt had been made to resuscitate her. She had reportedly been found in her bed and was located on the floor at the foot of her bed near the door upon my arrival. The decedent was on her back and her chest was exposed from emergency medical intervention. She was wearing a shirt and jeans and socks on her feet. She was in full rigor with her arms slightly elevated above her body, flexed at the elbows as observed from the position of her lying on her back. Lividity was present and there was some blanching on her chest area and left arm. She had been reportedly found lying on her stomach. Her fists were clenched and her feet flexed down and inward, giving the appearance that there might have been decorticate posturing at the time of death. I probably maybe pronounced that wrong. She exhibited a small amount of blood in her mouth. There was a very small red mark on the right side of her forehead. Otherwise, there was no apparent evidence of external trauma. It appeared as though she had also slept in her clothes. Her bedroom was in disarray, slovenly in fact. There were numerous items on the floor and the entire room. The adjoining bathroom to the bedroom was also the same. There were numerous personal items of self-expression and mementos adorning the walls. I noted that there was a smoking pipe on the nightstand with what appeared to be burnt marijuana in the bowl. The decedent was a reported medical marijuana user. There were some prescription medications that were collected by Deputy Coroner Thomas Walton. Page 7 of 19, Garfield County Case Report, Summary, Print, Date, Time, Login ID, blah, 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 all that stuff. Um, an A... LS was used to examine the external surface of the decedent as she lay on her back. There were some very minute and unexplainable areas of fluorescence visible with black light on her chest, which could have been an artifact from emergency medical intervention. There was nothing from my experience which appeared to be deposited body fluids. There was also nothing visible in her bed. The decedent's body was taken into custody by Deputy Coroner Walton. Prior to leaving the residence, Deputy Coroner Walton allowed family members and friends to pay their last respects at the scene. The residence has installed a video surveillance camera uh, and recorded by DVR. The video was reviewed, which showed the decedent, identified as Morgan Ingram, returning home around 2,100 hours. There was no further activity until the decedent's mother moved the vehicle she had parked in the driveway so emergency responders could access the house. A search was made of the vehicle and documented by Detective Lemoyne. The decedent's identification and small aftermarket medicinal vial containing a few apparently prescription pills were found in the vehicle. These items were held for relay to the coroner. There was a backpack that contained, among other items, the identification of the decedent's boyfriend, on scene and interviewed, and two containers of alcohol, one bottle of vodka, and another uh, growler of beer. The vodka was almost completely full. The growler had partial contents. An autopsy was scheduled to be performed. Morgan's body was taken to the medical examiner and scheduled to be autopsied. So that's a lot to unpack. Yeah. The scene of this crime reads like a fucking murder mystery. Right. There are so... Many factors. Yeah. The one that always sticks out to me when I read that is that rigor had set in. Now, rigor mortis is when your body's all stiff, and it mm -hmm. happens two to six hours post, like after you die, and then it lasts for 12 hours. Right. So what I cannot find in any evidence is if it had set in when her parents found her mm -hmm. and when they were trying to resuscitate her. Because why are you trying to resuscitate someone who is already stiff? Well, I would have just assumed that they were doing it as, like, 
almost in good faith. Like, yeah. obviously, All your right. parents were doing it. You have I just to. watched yep. the Buffy episode about this, and okay. it was very traumatizing. I won't – no spoilers here. Okay. It was, uh, like – Basically, the EMTs will come in and do it and be like, she's already cold, man. Like It's like a performance. They're doing it for your sake. Very, yeah, very okay. well. All right. That mm-hmm. makes that That's, actually makes perfect yeah. sense. So Morgan's parents, Steve and Tony, were shell-shocked and furious. Someone, they said, had come into their home in the middle of the night and murdered their little girl. Worse yet, this person had been stalking her for months. Authorities understood that Steve and Tony were distressed and had been made aware of several reports of stalking made in the past few months, but there was nowhere near enough evidence to call this event a homicide. They would have to wait and hear from the medical examiner for cause of death and then move on from there. So, that paragraph, when coupled with what I just read, should be pretty mm-hmm. shocking. Yeah. Because the scene does not seem like a homicide to me whatsoever. No. Right? Okay. Yeah. Wait, so I question. Sure. So the parents are aware she has been being stalked. Yes. We'll get okay. to the stalking. Okay. The I just parents wanted to make sure. Are actually more active when talking about it than most. Okay. And they immediately think it is connected to this. Okay. And I do have, I guess I'll just say I have two things that are standing out in my head from yeah. that report. Bring it. Which you'll probably get to, but the but parents said the dad remembers that the room was clean and that she was in her PJs before mm-hmm. bed. And the police report says that it was a mess. The room was a mess and she was in her like regular going out clothes. Very perceptive. Okay. Very good. Right. <laughs> we will get to those things. And I know I just dropped a major bomb with the whole stalking thing, and I will be addressing it shortly, but there are a few more things we have to attend to before circling back, so hang tight. Okay. Dr. Robert A. Kurtzman examined Morgan's body and determined that she died of natural causes, which sounds super crazy considering what we know of Morgan so far. What we know, we're going on police reports and medical examiner stuff, and she seems to be a healthy 20-year-old. Whatever health condition she had seemed to be treated with one vial of medication and medical marijuana that they found on her nightstand. But Dr. Kurtzman dug into her history and found out that her parents reported that Morgan had a severe case of a disease called porphyria. Her official cause of death was pulmonary edema, which is like fluid in your lungs that's caused by heart problems, Mm -hmm. that he surmised was caused by a sudden and acute episode set off by her untreated porphyria. What the hell is porphyria, you say? I, I was just about to ask. <laughs> Don't worry, I said it too, and I'm going to tell you. According to the Mayo Clinic, porphyria is a group of mostly genetic diseases in which substances called porphyrins build up in the body, negatively affecting the skin or nervous system. The types uh, that affect the nervous system are also known as acute porphyria, and so, as symptoms are rapid in onset and short in duration. Symptoms of an attack, which would be what they are saying Morgan had, include abdominal pain, chest pain, vomiting, confusion, constipation, fever, high blood pressure, and high heart rate. The attacks usually last for days to weeks. Complications may include paralysis, low blood sodium levels, and seizures. Attacks may be triggered by alcohol, smoking, hormonal changes, fasting, stress, stalker, or uh, certain medications. Medications. Jeez Louise. If the skin is affected, blisters or itching may occur with sunlight exposure. Most types of porphyria are inherited from one or both of a person's parents and are due to a mutation in one of the genes that make heme. They may be inherited in an autosomal dominant, autosomal recessive, or X-linked dominant manner. One type, porphyria 
Tene tarda, I'm not a doctor, may also be um, due to increased iron in the liver, hepatitis C, alcohol, or HIV and AIDS. The underlying mechanism results in a decrease in the amount of heme produced and a buildup of a substance involved in making it. Blah, 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 blah. Porphyrias may also be classified by whether the liver or bone marrow is affected. Diagnosis is typically made by blood, urine, and stool tests. Genetic testing may be done to determine specific mutations. So this is like a rare and possibly deadly disease. However, I want you to remember that Morgan's supposed porphyria was reported by her parents, Hmm. not her doctor. I have a fun fact about porphyria. Bring it. It's one of um, what some believe is an in inspiration for like vampires and werewolves and yes. stuff. Yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. I've only ever seen it um, mentioned on. I watch the television I consume is pretty insane, and I watch a lot of like medical mystery shows. Mm-hmm. And I've only ever seen it on ones where they're like, "This person was covered in blisters, and we couldn't figure out why," and mm-hmm. that was why. But okay. Morgan didn't have that. She didn't get rashes. She had like. Stomach problems and headaches and, like, heart palpitations. She had that kind of thing. Okay. Her doctor, on the other hand, had treated her for irritable bowel syndrome. And it was suspected that Morgan could have had porphyria. It was something they mentioned that was possible. But her parents denied getting her the genetic testing that would have been necessary for direct confirmation. Which is apparently quite expensive. Fine. Instead, they made some wild assumptions. (laughs) A few years prior to her death, Morgan had gotten sick and was plagued with vomiting, diarrhea, headaches, and chest pain. All of them add up. I get that. That's all right. Morgan had been given medication to treat um, her symptoms, and it seemed to be working because her symptoms disappeared when she took the medicine. While the Ingrams did not wish to pay for the expensive genetic testing required to confirm or deny Morgan's possible porphyria, they did consult good old Dr. Google, who told them that all of Morgan's symptoms were caused by carbon monoxide poisoning. What? Uh Huh? And that somehow, miraculously, the removal of the carbon monoxide had made her symptoms disappear, not the medication she was taking. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. But then why did no one else have that? Uh, mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mean, do you do you mean to mention all the people that live in the same home as her and had no symptoms? That would, they would be the ones. Yes, yeah. that's very convenient, isn't it? What was Morgan taking, you ask? Don't worry, I did too. Morgan was prescribed a drug called amitriptyline. Sorry. Amitriptyline is used to treat a variety of symptoms, including pain and the onset of migraines, which the headaches that you get from this porphyria or anything else, it could treat that. It can also treat um, abdominal episodes that they call like abdominal migraines, like it's extreme pain in your stomach. So it, it can be used to tress, treat like IBS and stuff too. So that all checks out. But it is also a tricyclic antidepressant, which you remember from which episode? That's right, Richard Trenton Chase, Ooh. who comes back every single time. God damn, am I glad we covered that guy early on. This class of antidepressant and migraine treater, I suppose, is well known for also causing suicidal thoughts, paranoia, and occasionally hallucinations. And he was the vampire Sacramento. Ding, ding, ding. There we go. It's all coming back, (laughs) man. It's all coming back to me now. Musical episode. (laughs) (laughs) It's coming. So just keep, just log that in your head as we move on. Like, you know, there are a lot of things you might hallucinate if you were extremely paranoid and had suicidal thoughts going on. People trying to get you could be one mm-hmm. of them. After taking the amyltryptyline for some time, Morgan's parents reported that she decided 
She didn't like being on medicine. She liked organic food and meditation. And she was going to be like a, have like a natural lifestyle. So she was just going to stop taking it. Okay. Which I do not advise, especially with anything that is an antidepressant in nature. You cannot just cold turkey those things. You have to wean yourself off them if you want to stop. Right. But I'm sure it was hard if she was going through, if she was having those other side effects, right? Well, here's the thing. Like, we don't have any confirmation that she was having any of the other kind of thoughts then. We do know that her stomach issues did not come back immediately, but they wouldn't have because whatever she has, whether it been just irritable bowel or whether it was porphyria, it comes in episodes. So really, if you stop taking your medication, you could... Be fine for a little while. And it, it, who knows when it's going to come back. Really treating it is trying to keep you at a level so that you don't get these attacks. So she stopped taking it and she felt fine. Steve and Tony were fine with this decision because, like I said before, they had decided it was carbon monoxide poisoning at that time anyway. Even though the other home's residents and pets remained completely unaffected. But at that point in time, Morgan seemed to be completely healthy. And at the time of her death, she had been off regular amitriptyline for over a year. Given all that information, it was Dr. Kurtzman's professional opinion that Morgan succumbed to a freak and acute flare-up of a rare disease. While this is tragic and uncommon, it does not seem impossible. Spoiler alert, it's totally impossible. <laughs> um, oh. Yeah, there are doctors post-mortem that have stated that Morgan did not, in fact, have porphyria. But anyway... Morgan's blood, urine, and stomach contents were also sent away for toxicology screenings, and when they came back, they told a very different story. Morgan's blood showed a lethal level of amitriptyline. It was also present in her urine and stomach contents, which were described as orange and sludgy. And yeah, that is gross. But it's also pills. A lot of pills. Morgan also tested positive for cyclobenzaprine, muggle name Flexeril, which is a muscle relaxer that has a reputation for making you real loopy. And I've taken it. It does make you real loopy. Morgan did not test positive for alcohol or marijuana, both of which she had in her possession at the time. But she also had a bottle of amyltriptyline that was over a year old. When she had decided to stop taking it, she had a full bottle, which she kept just in case. So now, looking at this new evidence, Dr. Kurtzman decides that his initial findings were incorrect. Morgan had died of what he believed to be an intentional overdose, and her autopsy report was amended to declare her cause of death as suicide. To authorities, this all seemed to check out, but to Morgan's parents, it most certainly did not. Back to the stalking. Whoa. This story is wild. There are so many branches to this tree. (laughs) So how many medications was she on then? She was prescribed just at the time the amyltriptyline. Okay. She wasn't taking it. I mean, she hadn't for over a year, but she had a full bottle of it. She also had cyclobenzaprine in her bloodstream, which we will get back to very later in this episode. But there was no cyclobenzaprine found in the Ingram household. Nobody was taking it. They didn't have a bottle of it. Morgan wasn't prescribed it. She just had it in her system. That's all we know. Okay. So if you look up police reports made by Tony Ingram in Carbondale, Colorado, at that time, you will find 60 pages of detailed reports of her daughter stalking. It is intense. It appears that Morgan had been terrorized in in the four months leading up to her death, and the police had full knowledge of it. It started as tapping on windows. Morgan reported, I know, I know. What a gross intrusion of privacy. It's like a little tiny thing that will make you afraid forever. Yes. Morgan reported hearing intentional tapping, so not like a branch, just like, like, 
Like it sounded like someone wanted to come in. I don't know if the mic's going to pick that up or not, but I tapped a lot. <laughs> okay. Um, she heard this on her bathroom window. So as we we learned in the detective's report, her bedroom was like a suite. So it's like her bedroom and then a conjoined bathroom. Okay. And she was in that bathroom taking a shower, lights on, the window is frosted. <sighs> yep. The frosted window up by her head, that's where she hears the tapping. So now anyone outside would have been able to see her silhouette, but not like see her. So okay. they knew she was in there. Whoever was doing it. She told her parents about the tapping immediately in a terrified state. Like she ran out of the shower in a towel and went to find them. And they went outside to look around. And they found nothing. But they did see two footprints directly under Morgan's bathroom window. Ew. So somebody had been standing there. Ooh. Awful. The offense was frightening, but not dangerous. Young adults are curious creatures. And Morgan was beautiful and popular. Perhaps she had attracted some unwanted romantic attention. Maybe she had a friend playing a joke on her. I mean, there are endless possibilities of something that is scary but harmless, especially at that age. Incidents of the tapping continued, and Morgan became devastatingly paranoid, going so far as to begin sleeping on the floor of her parents' bedroom or having a friend routinely spend the night so that she would not have to sleep alone. She was really scared. Yeah, I would and, be too. Right, and and these incidences, she herself reported to multiple people. She told her friends. She told her siblings. This is something she talked about. It's something that happened. The Ingrams installed a security camera in an attempt to catch the intruder. And why not? I would have done the same thing. They had had numerous incidents, a terrified child, and police that could find absolutely no evidence. Also, at this point, their backyard security lighting had been flicking on at all hours of the night as well. Which was like a motion sensor. Yep. So it would be set off by someone, like, running through their yard. Mm -hmm. And a few times they claimed to have seen someone on the periphery of their property, like, running along. And that's all the light caught. It didn't – you couldn't, like, see them or catch them. They just knew they were there. Which all of this is so, like, emotionally terrorizing. Mm -hmm. It's not actually dangerous, but emotionally, that shit can destroy a person. So, yeah, they they got security cameras and and good on them. So they put them up and, lo and behold, they – Caught something. I know it always sounds like this is going to be a made-up thing, but they there are videos. The first time, it was a short video of their driveway, and you see a young man with dark hair. First, you see his car light, his headlights pull up to the house and shut off. It's the middle of the night. He gets out, walks up the driveway to, like, I guess close to wherever the front door is, looks around, just, like, looks around, and then leaves. That's it. I hate it. I know. Oh, my God. Oh. I know. There was this creaking upstairs in my house. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's either Binks is at the front door or my son is moving upstairs. I think it's my it's my cat Binks at the front door trying. He knocks to come in. <laughs> just, like, jolted down my back. I know. Okay. <laughs> that was the worst possible time for that to happen. Um. And the video is very strange. You can see it online. You can see it on that episode of um, the show that I mentioned, which I'll mention again. It just, it's really weird. It looks like this kid is looking for someone. He sees they're not there and then he leaves. Or he got there with the intention of doing something, saw something that would indicate he couldn't get away with it, and then walked away. It's very quick. Mm -hmm. But it's also like, you cannot mistake it. It's nothing else. It's a person. You see right. this person walking up to the house. So the Ingrams feel validated, obviously. They're like, fuck, I'm not crazy. That's good. 
But they also feel immediately betrayed because they know this young man. Mm. His name is Keenan Van Kinkle. Van Ginkle. Sorry. His name is Keenan Van Kinkle. It's a hard one. <laughs> you want to say it? One again? more time. <laughs> His name is Keenan Van. <laughs> Van Kinkle. V A N G I N K E L. Van Kinkle. So aggressive. I know. It's really hard because there's a hard K and a G, and I, I, I want to, like, make them both Ks. I don't know why. Vang Kinkle? I don't know. You guys, I'm so bad at this. I'm sorry, but that's his name. Keenan. Keenan Van Kinkle. That's why we're going to – we're just going to, like, slur them all together. And he was one of the few people that openly did not like Morgan. Oh. Yeah. As it turns out, Keenan's girlfriend, Brooke, and Morgan had had an altercation at a party – and since that time, Brooke had made it known that she did not care for Morgan. This seemed to make sense. Clearly, this young man was tormenting Morgan on behalf of his girlfriend. So his intention was to terrorize her is what police thought. Oh, okay. You know, you're not trying to break into the house. You're just trying to fuck her up because your girlfriend doesn't like her. Morgan had complained about this specific guy before in the past. And aside from one blurry video, though, the police had no evidence against Keenan and therefore no grounds for arrest. Um, and they do have um, interviews with him. I don't know if they're all after Morgan dies or if one of them is b- before. But he he says, like, one time I drove past her house with Brooke. That's his girlfriend. And Brooke was like, that's where that bitch lives. And that's the only thing he admits to in police custody. Again, there's so many branches to this tree. But they do find out that he um, – some reports say he's not at work at the time of Morgan's death. Some say he has an alibi. It's all very shady. But what makes this even stranger – is that there is a second video of a person, and this one is even scarier. Oh, no. Because it's not Keenan. This one comes in just minutes after the police had been at the Ingram's residence to investigate another round of window tapping. So the window tapping happens. The police come out. You see on the camera the police walking around. You see them with their flashlights. You, you can see all of this. Then they get in their cars, and they drive away. And, like... 30 seconds after they drive away, a grown-ass man walks out of the bushes next to the house. <gasps> mm-hmm. No. It's not Keenan. It's not a young guy. He's taller. He's thinner. He has lighter hair. And he's clearly, like, in his, like, 40s, 50s. Ew. Yep. Um, this man's identity has never been discovered. No. Nope. No idea who this Holly. is. I know. I know. My legs are covered in goosebumps right now. I don't like this at all. I know. I told you this case was like, it's like lives in your soul. It's so spooky. So we're going to go, we're back in 2011 now when Morgan's tox screen came in and her official cause of death was changed. Her parents felt sure that a grave injustice had been done because of all of these previous factors, right? They were sure that Morgan Stalker had crept into the house and injected her with a liquid form of amitriptyline. They also suspected that she had been sexually assaulted, though a rape kit had never been done. And this is something they're very angry about. They never did a rape kit. They never um, searched for DNA under her fingernails. Um, and they really think that they should have investigated further. And I don't disagree. Especially if there is a history of this stalking. Right. Why not do that? But here's the kicker. They can't go back and do it. Because as soon as Morgan's body was released to her parents, they had her cremated. Why? I don't know. In the video, they say they were uh, beside themselves. They didn't know what else to do, so they just did that. Guys, if you ever, I hope none of you ever do, if you are ever in this situation, do not get your loved one cremated. 
And I am a cremation person. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want a, I don't Same, need any yeah. of that shit. Get rid of me. Bury me in the woods. Plant a tree. I don't care. I do not need an expensive casket and to cost my family a shit ton of money mm. after I die. However, if there is, like, a horrifying crime associated with my death that might need to be investigated later for you to feel, like, at peace, preserve the shit out of me. That's fine. I'll preserve you. I'll keep you in my closet. Because they pickle like. me and keep me in a giant jar. <laughs> it's got fine. You, girl. Thank you. Same. I'll do your makeup every morning. <laughs> we'll be so creepy. I love it. The coming neighbor back. boys will love it. Oh, Carl Tanzler's coming back a lot too. <laughs> Good old Carl. Oh, God. But here's what I can report as to these accusations. There were no signs in the initial autopsy report that Morgan had ever been raped. Mm-hmm. There are no trauma to her genitals or the surrounding area, no defensive wounds, and her clothing was all intact. Also, there were no puncture wounds anywhere on her body, and sludge containing the partially digested pills was found in Morgan's stomach, which indicates that the amyltriptyline came in capsule form and not injection. Okay. The Ingrams then change their suspicion and say that Morgan was force-fed these pills. That is an extremely difficult task. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if that had been the case, th- there's no signs of trauma that were found around her mouth. If you, right. like, force-fed somebody pills, your face would probably be kind of fucked up. Mm-hmm. Or there would have been residue, or there would have been any number of things. Her mouth would have been full of it. It wasn't. Um, they found – I mean, like, the, the pills were just cleanly in her stomach, which leads you to believe that she swallowed them of her own volition. Mm-hmm. In interviews after a significant amount of time had passed after Morgan's death, her father Steve reports that she changed clothing in between the time she went to bed and the time she was found. He also reported that Morgan's room was neat as a pin when she went to bed and a mess when she was found. But we say a lot of things when we're sad and scared. I have since found video footage of Morgan's bedroom, which is readily available online in just little videos she had posted to social media and such, where her room is a mess. It's a total mess. She does not keep her room neat as a pin. And in an interview immediately following Morgan's death, you can hear Tony in like a panicky manner talking about how in the months prior she noticed that Morgan's room was a terrible mess and she was afraid that that was a sign that she was depressed. She also tells police in the interview right after Morgan's death that she is very much afraid that Morgan had killed herself, and she knew that that's what it looked like. Then they thought about it better, and they decided, oh, no, 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 it must have been like a murderer broke into her house and killed her because she had been stalked. And Morgan has some close childhood friends that back up Tony and Steve's suspicions, but I think we're just asking the wrong people. In interviews, they... They all say the same thing. Morgan was a light. She was very happy. She loved life more than anything. She loved her puppies. She loved art. She would never, ever kill herself because she's a very happy person. <sighs> so is Robin Williams to most people. You just don't yeah. know. You know what I mean? Like, there are a lot of... That's how most of them are always described. Exactly. So let's talk about Morgan, shall we? And um, let's let's meet her through... A different set of eyes. So Morgan's family and friends, I think, as I mentioned, are the are the wrong people to ask. Their stakes are too high. They don't they really don't want to know, which is as I mentioned in the opening. So what really happened? In my opinion, it's one of two things, and Paul Holes says the same thing, and we all love him now, so get on board. Either Morgan accidentally overdosed because she was in pain, or she completed suicide. Why do I think it's one of those two? Because I tried to see it through Morgan's eyes and not eyes that didn't that watched her take her first steps. 
because you are very blinded by things when you love someone very much. So let's meet actual Morgan. Morgan Ingram was born on August 16th, 1991 in Glenwood Springs, Garfield County, Colorado. She had a brother named Ryan and a sister whose name I cannot find. Both of them seem to prefer to stay out of the media spotlight, which is fine. Um, I did read the one existing interview I could find with her brother Ryan. It is clear that he loved his sister dearly, they were quite close, and that his theories align with his parents. Let me remind you that I am not here to say that they are wrong. I will give my opinion, but in no way do I blame or shame the Ingrams for the justice they are looking for. Like, we can't imagine. Absolutely not. Yeah. Like, I'm with you. How I don't know how I would be in that case. Morgan was a beautiful, bright, and popular girl. She loved yoga, meditation. She was a dancer, a photographer, and a painter. She was a very talented artist and had began focusing on oil painting before her tragic death. And the paintings right before her death got real, real, real dark. I will put one of them on our photo suite this week, and you guys can kind of decide what you think for yourself. While Morgan has a lot of childhood friends who align with her parents, it seems as though the people that she was closest to just before she died saw her in a very different light. Morgan's parents and family claim she was a happy, exuberant young woman with an infectious love of life, but Morgan's friends say that she had become depressed and sullen. And proof of this was reflected, like I said, in her artwork. The alleged stalking seemed to really stress her out, but it was more than that. She seemed to want independence, but her mother wanted to keep her close, which is a struggle that a lot of children and parents face at some point in time. On December 1st, everyone who saw Morgan said she was suspiciously down and depressed, like she was uh, uncharacteristically subdued, like she was obviously not doing well. She had seen Danny, who is um, interviewed by Detective Holes, and um, he he confirms all of this. He says that she wasn't herself. She wasn't engaging in conversation. She was acting strange. She seemed sad. Something was going on. Um, he said, you know, I know. He also says, I know her parents think someone murdered her, but I think she killed herself. That's heavy. Yeah, and that's like the last person she was really connected with personally. Mm-hmm. So there's that side of the the coin. Also that day she had been complaining of chest pain and a headache like excessively to anybody who she saw. Later um, that afternoon, like after she had gone to see Danny, Morgan actually attended a house party with a bunch of friends. So she wasn't just like seeing people. She went to a party. And those friends claimed that Morgan was not only seemingly depressed but also in pain. She complained of terrible headaches again and chest pain, and she left because she wasn't feeling well. They said she was miserable the whole time. Now, many of you will note that I have not yet addressed the cyclobenzaprine in Morgan's system. None of that was found in the Ingram residence, as I mentioned before, or in Morgan's car. So where did it come from? Remember when I told you it makes you loopy? That makes it a party drug to some people. Morgan's friends report that the party they were all at had alcohol, marijuana, cocaine, and pills. Woo! What a party. Mm. While she historically was not a drug taker, it would have been easy for Morgan to acquire this medication at this particular party. And if you have a terrible headache... Sometimes you don't really check in with what people are giving you. Also, fucked up people at a party are going to be like, this will make you better. Absolutely, yeah. Morgan was irritable and fought with her mother all night. She did not feel well, and she was going through some sort of emotional turmoil. Could she have wanted to end her own life and nobody knew? Absolutely. Do I think she did? I actually don't. Oh. Yeah. In my humble... Yeah, I know. I'm I'm like a curveball on this one. In my humble opinion, Morgan Ingram was upset and in pain, and she tried to self-medicate using medication that had worked for her in the past and overdid it. 
So if she wasn't feeling good, she'd stop taking it a year ago. She had no incidences, and suddenly it came back with a vengeance. Mm-hmm. She still had her medicine. That, when she's thinking about it, maybe did actually make her feel better. So what do you do? You take it. Sometimes you take too much of it when you're really not feeling well and you desperately try to overcompensate. I believe her death was tragic, but probably unintentional. Also, and I find this interesting and nobody else mentions it, during her autopsy, medical examiners also found an ovarian cyst. If you have ovarian cysts, frequently you have very bad cramps. And the way you can treat really bad cramps is with muscle relaxers, Mm -hmm. which could easily be why she had them in her system. She could have been at that party and her friend was like, oh, I have this shit. It's going to make you feel better. Right. So to me, the cyclobenzaprine is not like a terrible mystery. I feel like it's pretty easily solvable where she got that. Mm -hmm. There are also a lot of wild, loose ends in this case that I didn't mention. Like there's a theory that Morgan's hands um, were locked in the American Sign Language letters K and N because her hands look really funny. Like they are weird. But also like she died of a drug overdose that possibly caused a seizure. So yes, your muscles are going to do some weird Mm -hmm. shit. However, people lock onto anything and her parents say that it's a Canaan and for Keenan because she was trying to tell them that he came into their home and murdered her. Oh, wow. Yes. Okay. Which feel, which is wild to me. But I, I want to say, and my point in telling this story is that you need to put yourself in the position that her parents are in. Yeah. And think about how desperately you do not want to admit that under your own roof, while you slept, your daughter somehow took her own life. Right. I think I'm with you, though, too. I don't think that it was a suicide. One, because because I don't think that she would have fought with her mom then you know like I don't think she would have said yeah you kind of are resolute that's the case you're like I don't yeah and there wasn't a a no I mean that a note could have gone anywhere in that case like I I, we can go down a conspiracy oh there are tons but um but it doesn't seem I I don't know I don't I think what you're saying like an accidental yeah I think she overly self-medicated and and I mean a lot can happen when you have is it just even when because you said there's alcohol in there her, was none in her system. Oh, okay. There okay. was where she was, but she didn't have any in her system. Okay. Um, Detective Holes says his theory is that um, it was a cry for help. He thinks that she took a lot of medication hoping that people would take what was going on with her seriously, and she wanted to be revived, but it didn't happen, which is also possible. People do crazy things when they want help. I am more of the mind that she did it because she was in pain and she didn't realize how much she was taking. I think she, but I, But I also recognize that everything we're saying is possible. Right. Although anybody, I mean, almost all legal and forensic folks rule out homicide. Like nobody really, I mean, her family does. To this day, they want justice for her and I will never tell them to stop trying to find it. I get 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 it. Is it my opinion? No, but that's fine. It doesn't have to be my opinion. It's just very odd that so many events in her life a line. Mm-hmm. People were stalking her completely aside from the fact that she died in this like freak overdose accident. It's just there's so much going on. Oh, and who was that guy in the shrub? I don't know. Oh, Morgan's bed was also found with no sheets on it, and those sheets were supposedly never recovered. Although her parents think that somebody covering their tracks or covering evidence. Some people suspect that her parents took them off because they didn't want people to see that she had either been sick or whatever. So um, again, not prescribing, just relaying information. But also, 
There is no reference point for these supposed sheets. We don't know what they look like. The police hadn't seen a before shot. They just happened to not be on the bed when they came in. Could she have stripped her bed and then been lazy? There was also clothes all over it. Mm-hmm. Her room is like trashed. But Detective Holes mentions, which is astute, obviously, because he's a genius, that it doesn't look like someone had broken in and there was a struggle. It looks like a mess. It looks like she was looking for things on several occasions and just gutted her closet and left it there. Or she, like, had stuff laid out on her bed. If you look at there's a video online of her with, like, a little girl. It's like her niece or something. And it, her room looks exactly the same. This is her living, talking with a little person. And there's, like, clothes laying all over a chair and, like, stuff. It's just – that's just – what it was but you know the sheets are like a conspiracy thing also like you mentioned in the very beginning her clothing is a huge point of contention the fact that she was found dressed and her father says she was in her pajamas earlier in the night when he saw her he thinks that she was either like dressed to go out or something i don't know but um there are also mixed reports on that where people are like i don't know that she was ever in her pajamas right she may have just still been dressed Mm-hmm. because the police report that she looks like she slept in her clothes. And there's also several reports that her, like, hair is all matted and stuff. Right. Yeah, I don't I mean, maybe she was under her sheets or something, or and he just assumed. Or I was thinking that she went out again, but I guess there'd be video footage of that. Yeah, and there was none. They didn't see her leave the house again, so no. How come they could – I mean, I guess where was the videos – like, how come they couldn't see who was tapping? I don't know. That's a very good question. The video, the surveillance video that I have seen looks as though one camera is on, like, their driveway and one is pointed into, like, woods. Mm. I think it's either their backyard or, like, the perimeter of their home. So I'm guessing that they wanted to see the person, like, entering or exiting. But yeah, you would think they would have like another one that maybe there was nowhere to attach it. I have no idea. Yeah. Maybe they just couldn't aim it so you see where it was. But yeah, um, that is a very, very, very good question. And there are so many conspiracy theories. There was an article in People Magazine about this very recently because people are di- are like pulling apart her finger positioning. Okay. Trying to say that it's sign language, like she's looking for help in some way. And I think they're kind of getting that from the Alyssa Turney case because that's something else that's happening in that case. I think that has a little more credence, but we'll talk about her at another date. (laughs) Her sister has an excellent podcast, which I will plug the shit out of at a later date. But yeah, go online. Web Sleuths is also our favorite people in the world. Web Sleuths who don't fuck with cats really are invested in this case. Holy cow. Web sleuths do not care for Morgan's parents. They do not believe these theories. They also have a lot of people that are spinning off saying that they think Tony has Munchausen and that she was making her sick and that their parents knew more than they're saying. There's there's just more than I could ever mention. And also I feel kind of terrible saying those words because I just don't know that I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that I like that very much. But if you want to get out there and dig around, there's a lot to dig around in. The one thing that keeps repeating over and over in my mind is the constant repetition of the phrase, Morgan would never have killed herself. She just wasn't like that. And I think that's the most painful part of the story to me is the fact that people who love Morgan have to face the fact that maybe she was like that. We see what we want to see. And if we don't want to see something, well, we can always cover our eyes and it's gone. I know. That's what really 
That's what really sticks with me about that one. Also, if you want to do any further listening, um, Sword and Scale covers this in a two-part episode of their podcast, and it is comprehensive. Um, it is ex- an exhausting amount of material. They they went in there. They interview people that are um, like web sleuths and stuff. So if you guys want to really get in there, you can listen to that. I think that's all I got. Okay. <laughs> I told you. It's a lot. Ugh. I, ugh. What'd you think of that one, Leslie? You didn't, it was a total surprise for you. Did you go on a journey? I did. I went on quite a journey. I thought it was going to be like a domestic dispute at first. And then, and then I was getting into the stalking. And then mm-hmm. there was a random man. Mm-hmm. Ugh. There are a lot of like question marks at the end of the day with this one. It's easy to say, like, I've sewn it up. I've decided what my theory is. But then the, no matter what your theory is, there are, like, eight outlying things where people could poke holes in it. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, that's why um, that's why this one is something that sticks in my brain so hard. So, um, yeah. Toast. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. I know. It's always like, ooh, really? Um, I mean, the easy choice is obviously Morgan. Mm-hmm. She's our victim, but I don't always want to try like just take the easy route every week. So I'm trying mm-hmm. to think of somebody else who really rose to the task <laughs> in this episode. Anybody that stuck out in your mind? Well, I guess I would also think like probably poor Danny. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, and he was technically supposed to be the last person, like one of the last people he to was see her indeed. Yeah. And knew her very well. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Danny. Morgan and Danny. <gasps> and we have a new patron. Yes. Woo. I mean, it's so hard to turn it happy style after that. I know. <laughs> but um, our patron this week is the History Creeps podcast. <gasps> Thank you. We love you. Their podcast is really fun, you guys. You should absolutely go give it a listen. If you like us, you will like them. They talk a lot about a lot of similar things, but they're dudes, so it's different. So different. Yeah, they're super fun. We're hoping to uh, be able to collaborate with those guys soon, too. Mm-hmm. So that'll be super fun. So thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon, History Creeps. Yeah. Do you think they would do a musical episode with us? I don't know. Do you guys sing? Yeah. <laughs> uh, come, come at us on social media and let yeah. us know. <laughs> they're probably like, never mind. They're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but thank you, guys. And um, thank you to everyone who supports us. And if you don't support us, you totally should because we're super cool. So cool. And if we were in pain that would not relent and relief seemed to present itself, we We would be be dead. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WouldBeDeadPod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more.